Hey folks, welcome to episode 76 of the Becoming Human podcast. In this episode, I sit down with David Weck. He's the creator of the Weck Method, inventor of the BOSU Ball, Pro Pulsers, RMT Clubs, among a few other things. David has been a multidisciplinary coach for over 20 years, training several elite athletes. He goes beyond participating in the fitness industry. He's a student of movement, and through this conversation and his work, it definitely shows. David breaks down the WEC method, his understanding of physiology, propulsors, effective arm swing for running and locomotion, coiling core, and more. This is one of those podcasts that I'm going to have to sit through and listen to a couple of times. It's pretty technical, um, but... It was a joy to have David on. He's a very knowledgeable guy. And yeah, I just, I really enjoy his stuff, even his Instagram stuff too. Uh, Very informative. Uh, You can learn more about the WEC method, um, some of his equipment, and some training routines at WECMethod.com. And you can find him on Instagram at the David WEC. I'll be sure to drop those links in the show notes. Uh, if you guys would like to support the podcast, you can rate, review on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, wherever you happen to listen to it. You can also head over to the website and go and pick up a flat bill, some shirts. So without any further ado, here's David Weck. What got you into coaching and athletics? Uh, well, basically, it was a passion for athletics and movement and running around um, ever since I was a child and then having the uh, the, the lack of uh, truly great ability so I was always seeking to make myself better so I was a a very good athlete but not a great great athlete and so therefore I had the motivation to really learn as much as I could using my my mind to enhance the capacity of my body so that process began relatively early on Uh, you know I was always seeking advantage so that's basically how I got my start um what were some common mistakes that you would see uh, new athletes make at the time? Oh, um, well, I mean, let's see. If I, if I go back, um, I suppose I wasn't aware of, um, you know, the things that I now see. Um, mm-hmm. So to cast it in the light, um, right now there's, I mean, the, right now the overwhelming, well, let's put it this way. Right now, the the best of the best, as you know, are defined by who the best athletes train with, and you know, the best coaches, the best people. Nobody's nailed it on the head in terms of the foundation, which is the locomotive function. And so, I see everything wrong at the most fundamental level, and then lots of great things being done on top of that. And if you distill it into specialized functions, like okay, well, let's say. You know, take deadlifting, for example. Pretty much there is what's known about deadlifting is known, and you're not going to really make some giant leap forward in terms of a deadlifting performance. Uh, there are things that you can do at uh, sort of the, the fundamental level to train the spine and, and get deeper within each side of the lat to pack and brace and create greater bilateral braking strength that you will then apply to the specifics of a deadlift. Um, so in that regard, a lot of the arts and a lot of the you know particular um, avenues or, or endeavors, the, the techniques are pretty much known. 
Um, but as it relates to just the most basic one, which is walk, walking around, um, running, sprinting, though that very basic, I found it. It's X on the map. And the best of the best literally didn't know it. And so they're building on a foundation where they don't know where the bullseye is, so they're aiming off target. And so even when they hit what they're hitting, which they don't, which is also fascinating because the athletic person, their body innately senses what needs to be done. So they do what needs to be done, despite the fact that they're being coached away from what needs to be done. So it's um, – and I think – and let me just sort of try to cast this in context. Um, you know, if you look at humanity, we are the species that, that uses technology – we, we create things to to enhance our abilities to do what it is that we want and need to do. So we're, we're leveraging our physical capacities through the creativity of our mind. And if you look at locomotion, there was a study done, I don't know, decades ago, where they were looking at the efficiency of locomotion amongst various species. And at the very top of the list were birds like the condor. Where, okay, they, they cover the most ground with the least amount of energy out of any species that we, you know, have been able to measure. And on down the line, the human beings fell somewhere into that mix, but certainly not at the top. And then they said, oh, well, let's look at a human being riding a bicycle. Oh, well, now all of a sudden the human being is more efficient than a condor because the human being had the wherewithal to put together a bicycle, which ends up transporting you even more efficiently than a condor can fly. So we use that ingenuity to enhance our ability to locomote. And if you go back to the beginning, all of the, well not all of, but the overwhelming majority of the brain power, of the motivation, the resources have gone into relieving the human being of the burden of moving themselves. So you end up with a bicycle, a car, an airplane, um, you know, all sorts of things. And we just sort of skipped past the locomotive function, which is you, under your own power, moving yourself from here to there. And then the financial motivations um, of, like, you know, look at the shoe companies, then the running sneaker, how that changed into high-heeled cushions that made it comfortable to run but destroyed biomechanics in the process. So two million comfortable steps, and now the rest of the body is broken. 80% of runners being hurt every year. So what I'm doing is I'm just bringing it back to the basics. It's locomotion. That's our number one function that we need to understand and effectively enhance immediately. We don't want to wait for the results. Let's get better right now. And it turns out that that is intimately related with throwing and swinging because in the very beginning, the, the first hominids to stand up and walk around and leave the trees – had to have sticks and stones, so you got to throw them, you got to swing them. And so that holy trinity of function is locomotion, swinging, and throwing. And from that base, all things now can, can develop and prosper. And so that's sort of where I am now with things is it's a new starting line. It's, it's okay, the rules, the rules don't apply anymore because now we're using the laws. It's first principle physics. And like like I was saying, the best brain power and the most resources have not gone into how do you, you know, move yourself from here to there, right? The best brain power is off curing cancer, sending rockets into space and 
running hedge funds and, you know, doing those things. So now, now we know better and it's, uh, you know, and it's a fundamental change. And I'm, and I'm basically holding court. I'm saying, look, there's, it's a bully culture that we grow up in. We live in this sort of patriarchal, you know, you come up as a boy and, you know, you got to go through, there's an alpha male on the playground. He's, you know, nine times out of ten, he and, he and maybe, maybe it's not him, but maybe it's some of the sub alphas. They're going to pick on you and you're going to have to get tough. And maybe that's just the way it is. But it, what ends up happening is adults, these people, you know, when they start to get, you know, in the position of authority, well, then it's their way and your way doesn't matter. And a guy like Dick Fosbury comes along in 1968, redefines the high jump. But no, he ain't the one. He ain't the one in charge. He's not the head of the Olympic coaching. He's not, you know, the, the coach in this, you know, you know, little cadre of, you know, the people who are the best. So what they do is they stifle this new technique and they don't let it come out. It takes eight years for that to, to become the norm. And hindsight, you look back at it, it's like couldn't be more obvious that it's better. And so that's essentially what's happening now is you have, you know, oh, well, you know, I'm the authority. I've been teaching this. And well, guess what, pal? You're absolutely fundamentally 100% wrong. And I'm here to say faster is faster. So deal with it. And it's, that's why it's so disruptive. And that's why it's sort of fun. So anyway, I know why it's sort of took that out on a tangent but no you're good i love tangents man then that's it it is true that like uh you know within the dominance hierarchy people who are at the top of the dominance hierarchy and just people in general are so resistant to change that they'll do whatever they can um on average uh, to stifle it however it's with the scientific method and stuff like that to be able to provide like objective facts that are unquestionable at the end it makes it a lot easier to argue your point and show people that you know well, um, yes, and and they will and they will try and commandeer and corrupt science, and maybe even some of it's subconscious. But you know, when you have to build on the first principle of physics, but when these guys refer to some research study in some research paper that refers to that other research paper and that research paper, and none of it's right, they're holding up the scientific finding that oh yes, you know this is scientifically based, and the reality is. We need the pure science, like the physical sciences, like the physics sciences, like, okay, faster is faster, longer is longer, higher is higher, okay, so let's not, let's not bullshit each other and like pretend and look through little microscopes at little tiny things, let's step back, look at the picture and say, click, click, faster is faster, if it's replicable every single time, well now we have the scientific proof that I don't care how many of you little you know, scientists and researchers and decades of whatever and little old boys club that don't want new members because you're at the top and you're going to lose your position. I don't care how many of you are. There is no argument. There is no opinion. Faster is faster. And see, and that's where I get my blood boils because I see this and I, I relate to the underdog. I can't stand it when, when, when the, when there's a bully who's, 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 foisting his his desire over what is just and right and that's why i'm i I taste the blood in the water now because i know the outcome and i'm not patient i'm a kid from new jersey who's not some you know i'm not some resolved yogic monk who can just relax and be happy right i need to see the change i need to see the change now and i need to put the person in his place who doesn't want to let it happen right it's bend the knee and that's 
you know, and it's good because it gets a lot of attention. You know, it, it, the movement is happening. It, it's accelerating. More and more people are starting to take note. But change is hard, right? And I'll give you an example. Change is hard, like, even when it's good change. Like, I mean, I I, I, I don't like to change. Like, wow, yeah, ah, you know, you just don't want to change. Even if it's something good and even if it's something that you're not resisting against. It's like, you know, it's just, oh, this is the way I'm doing it. It's easier to keep doing it this way, even if this way is not as good, right? So you need the kick in the ass to create change. And because athletics is competitive and it's sort of this, it's it's analogous or it's a, it's a metaphor for sort of, you know, what we used to do, which has, you know, fight and flight and have to survive. Sports are sort of this, you know, safe way that we can get out the aggression and act out these primitive you know, impulses to win or lose, and uh, everybody gets to go home and, you know, be safe at night. And so sports are this amazing venue where it is as competitive as the survival of the fittest in nature. I mean, you know, when two football teams get up against each other, <laughs> I mean, they're they're fighting for their lives, metaphorically speaking, and they're willing to do what it takes. And you see this as evidenced in sort of, uh, you know, the drug wars and the biochemistry and the amount of people, you know, look at, look at, you know, cycling, you know, the Lance Armstrong saga. I mean, it's a sport that was just so, quote, unquote, corrupted by cheating because if you didn't cheat, you couldn't win, right? So if you can't win, well, then you can't be in it anyway, so you have to cheat, and the whole thing turns into what it turned into. But if the reason is it's the competitive drive to win and because speed kills and speed is your number one asset athletically, well, now everybody has to avail themselves of this opportunity. And now for the person who's not the best, what we have is we have this wonderful opportunity because in this case, faster feels better too. It's less wear and tear. And so now your running coach who's been teaching you wrong and he's not trying to teach you wrong. He'd rather teach you right. But the fact that he didn't find right and that he's wrong and he has been wrong and he was wrong in what he coached you this morning, now he has a problem with that. So he's just going to have to deal with that because the best of the best do it because they have to, and that inspires and motivates and creates the awareness for the rest to do it. So we have a situation where billions of people all over this planet are about to take every step stronger for generations to come. And that's where we are in this moment in time. You mentioned something about um, adding the, the cushioning and the heel of the shoe to make it more comfortable um, and it wreck, wrecking havoc on our bodies. Could you explain that a little bit more? Absolutely, absolutely. So, okay, so there's there's a generalized um, – every structure will have a, a, a functional balance in terms of that, that the structure governs where that function will be most efficient for that particular structure. So basically, the, the structure will dictate the function, and that's the immediate. And then over time, the function will reshape the structure. And the, the foot, you have to look at the foot as an evolutionary process. It's not like the foot is perfectly designed for bipedal locomotion because it didn't start out that way. It just sort of evolved into, oh, okay, well, this is how we'll use that thing that came before. It starts out in the water, starts out as sort of a fin, comes out, becomes a limb, and then, you know, millions and millions and millions of years later, it becomes like, you know, a leg and a foot. So if it were truly intelligent design, 
well, wouldn't it be some kind of a wheel that's really efficient, doesn't wear out, and you know, you know, some something, right? It's a foot, and it looks a lot like the foot of a dog. That's you know, just you know, different shapes, but it's the still five appendages or five, you know, phalanges, and the arrangement, and which looks a lot like you know what came before it. And so, it's not like this foot is perfectly designed for this function. It's a structure that through the mechanical stress and arrangement that it's been under for all these millions of years, has sort of, you know, sort of walked its way into shaping it for the function of upright bipedal locomotion, for example. Now, where much of the world just doesn't understand it is they have this linear thinking, right? You know, okay, well, we have, you know, sagittal, frontal, transverse, we have three planes of motion, and they sort of don't see the forest through the trees. Everything in the body works with a spiral dynamic. So there is no straight. It's a straight is just a it's a construct. So the foot has a strong side, which is the lateral side, where the two bones that attach to the the pinky toe and the fourth toe, those are called the the metatarsals, and they are the strong side because they have a direct link into the heel bone, the calcaneus. And then you have the big toe, second toe, third toe, which are the long side. And so the basic pattern of gait is initiating the contact with the strong side and then pronating, rolling, spiraling through the long side and then off. And you have to make a distinction between the function of climbing, where the toes would be grasping and grabbing, versus bipedal locomotion on 2D flat, where you don't want any grab whatsoever in the toes because it sort of it, it puts a burden on the small muscles and it cuts you off from the strength and continuity and connection to the proximal muscles. So depending upon the function, the structure is going to have to behave differently. And so what what this the patterning will be interrupted if you put a shape and structure underneath it that doesn't allow you to do it well. And so, but, and, and if you don't understand it and you don't have the patience to say, okay, well, what are the mechanisms by which we can enhance it? Because you don't know the simplest law of locomotion that head over foot alignment is the law and you're stuck in some other model. Head over foot alignment coils the core, it lifts the hip that of the foot that's swinging through the air, it positions you perfectly for the spiral dynamic. And unless you have that, you are compensating for a lack of balance, okay? And since nobody's ever taught that before and they've taught opposite, well, now you're teaching people exercises and instructions for locomotion that don't allow them to do it properly. Oh, well, now we must have, you know, a fundamentally flawed foot. And, oh, well, now we have to solve it mechanically with this shoe. Oh, okay. Well, we have to sell the shoes, and they have to feel good real fast, right? Oh, okay. Well, we make them cheap in Japan, and, you know, Adidas makes them more expensive in Germany. And, hey, we can't buy the cover of Sports Illustrated, but we can buy the shirt and the hat and the shoes of the person who's on the cover of Sports Illustrated. Brilliant brand marketing. And so you create these comfortable, cushiony shoes that are just detached from the biomechanics of, or the optimal biomechanics of the human body because it's a complete lack of understanding, mis, you know, just confusion at the fundamental level, and then motivated for money, not motivated for anything else. It's, I mean, it's a business. And 
So now they create these comfortable shoes with a misunderstanding of biomechanics. It's very linear-based. And now you're suddenly put into these booties that don't allow you to land on the strong side and pronate roll through to the long side with the microsecond, micromillimeter timing that will define efficiency. Oh, okay. And now, because you've made it comfortable, that now the the body is now able to default to a very inefficient pattern, and a, a pattern that is so inefficient that without those booties, you literally wouldn't even come close to being as, uh, you know, inefficient and poor biomechanics. Well, now you're creating this sort of jarring effect throughout the rest of the body because the foot is not it is not capable of interacting and exchanging the forces with the ground in a biomechanically efficient manner. And tension in your body is fundamentally, first and foremost, protective, right? Your nervous system is to keep you alive, and that's sort of its governing function, right? Without that, nothing else matters. So it's going to keep you alive with these reflexes that create different, you know, tension and relaxation, the, you know, proper moments. And one of the priorities is that you don't fall down. It's, you know, pretty low threshold to cover, but tension in your body will make sure that you don't. Whether you like it or not, it's going to do it. And so when the foot is aberrant, now it sends a cascade of signals and firing patterns that, okay, well, up, up, down, up, you know, up throughout the, you know, the kinetic linkages, stuff is happening to compensate for the fact that you're not balanced and the shoe does not let you engage with that dynamic balance that can be otherwise had if you understand the basics of the biomechanics. And so now, and because it's comfortable and it doesn't hurt you right now, and it's just a little bit of, you know, tension that has to adjust because you're moving through it in motion, you basically most people end up locomoting in a position, if you were to freeze the frame, where they have their weight at maximum load on one foot, they are in an unsustainable position where if they were to stop, they would fall over immediately. But because they have the forward momentum, they're able to swing it through and not notice. Right? Oh, well, we'll use that forward momentum to, to, to catch ourselves every time. We don't even know we're out of balance because it's not happening frame by frame. It's all the frames linked together. So if you are landing in an unsustainable position where you could not support yourself in that position, not for a millisecond because you'd start to fall immediately, well, guess what? Your lower back on that other side, the lower back of the side that's in the air, now has to do extra work to keep you up. Oh, okay, and then you land inefficiently. Oh, and you add up 2 million, 3 million, 4 million, 5 million, however many million, and now all of a sudden you have deep systemic issue that has compounded over years and years and years that has literally deformed your structure now because, you know, the function over time will reshape the structure. And who do we have to thank for this? Who do we have to thank? We have to thank the the best brand marketing footwear and apparel company ever. We have to thank them because they also prove that that's the profitable path that everybody else has to follow. If all of a sudden these guys are taken off with comfortable high-heeled cushions and Oh, well, that's the, oh, well, that's the flow we gotta go, right? We'll be out of business if we try to do anything else because that's what the customer wants because everybody's misinformed, including the scientists who are telling you why they're so great. And you see how the whole thing gets turned upside down. Mm-hmm. And 
And now I'm coming in, and I'm, you know what? I'm going to fix it. I'm David. They're Goliath. And they're going down because, because it's God's will. That's how crazy I am. Because it's God's will that every step is stronger for humanity as we embark on this march forward to what I call the singularity. That's the Ray Kurzweil singularity where man and machine sort of reach that, reach that threshold where the machine surpasses the man. And then we're at an event horizon in the human race where beyond which we don't know how the story goes. So it's either real good or real bad. Elon Musk will talk about this stuff. And, you know, the higher level intellects are thinking about this. They're not, they're not thinking about, oh, well, you know, if I, if I put this anti-pronation role, blah, 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 right? Because I don't even know what the hell I'm talking about at the most basic level. Her, you know, we're talking about a much bigger thing, a transcendent thing for the betterment of mankind, the big picture. And we start with this holy trinity of body, mind, and spirit. And the one that is the easiest, the most tangible, the one that you can relate to right now and there's a commonality with everybody is the body, okay? The mind and the spirit, that's much, 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 much more difficult to sort of find the common denominator and create the bang, snap your finger solution that puts everybody on the same page. But balance in the body, beginning with locomotion, that is simple. It is extremely simple, but you have to know where to dig. If you don't have X on the map, you're digging for dirt, and it doesn't help the body or the spirit. It only creates this conflict and this unresolved tension and the, the you know, the, the constant need to guard and protect. So you can't free the mind and the spirit to make those wiser decisions for the greater good. You see, and that's why I think it's God's will. My work is God's will because I am making every step stronger for everyone, whether they like it or not. And I'm beginning with the core and the hands because if you can figure out the core and the hands, well, now the feet tend to take care of themselves. You don't have to do the impossible, which is try to teach somebody in real time how to position their foot where and when it needs to be. you got to take them out of these 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 shoes that don't allow them to do it right, and then you have to teach the rest of the body how to do it right so that the feet just become the tail end of the whip that's going to pronate at the perfect timing where and when to express, to amplify the power of the core. And it turns out that your hands are so freaking smart. They're so freaking fast. The only body parts that are arguably faster than the hands are the eyelids. And the only body part that you could say is arguably smarter and more capable of more things might be the tongue and the mouth, right? And you could make a good case that the hands might be more adept at manipulation than the, than the tongue and the mouth, right? So yeah, that's a close one. You could make some arguments. The eyelids, I think they're probably fastest. Maybe you, can, you can't move the hands as fast, but maybe there's an argument there. Your hands are the great opportunity, and so far, to date, what I've created and invented has never been done before. You are faster carrying weights now than you are without. And that is so profound and so significant that it can even escape the, 
the person who's locked into this square paradigm of, oh, well, I've got to do anti-rotation pal-off presses because I don't know what the hell I'm doing because my teacher doesn't know what the hell they're doing because nobody knows what the hell they're doing. And it gets me pissed off that all these people meaning to do well, the new people coming in the industry, are being brainwashed by people who don't know what they're doing. And I don't have patience for it. I don't like it. And because this... This cognitive dissonance and this need to be correct and, you know, they, you're going to implode upon yourself if you're, the very foundation and paradigm with which you're operating is now suddenly shattered. Well, get over it. Get over it. We're going to make every step stronger. And the hands and using this double down pulse action to run what the best in the world actually do. There's not a decent runner in the world who doesn't run with the head over foot technique even though there's not a coach in the world that's ever told them that that's what they need to do. So, ah, and, I, and again, I taste blood in the water. I know, I know that the wrong is being righted, and I don't have patience to wait. It's a human race to the singularity, and I don't want to waste time. Time and energy are precious, and so much of the instruction and exercise and locomotion is absolute utter bullshit and a waste of time, worse than a waste of time. It is a counterproductive use of time and energy. And I want to cut to the chase and I want to get there now. And there is tremendous, pro tremendous profit in prophecy. We are creating WEC method qualification that will be the criteria that that will be the qualification on the credential that if you don't have it, you are irrelevant. And I'm in business too, so there's branding, there's trademarks, there's copyrights, there's patents that ensure that we do not let the product get denatured. Because there's another thing that happens in our fitness industry, which is thieves. People steal ideas to try to capitalize and make money. If I had a nickel for every knockoff BOSU ball out there right now, I probably wouldn't have to sell BOSU balls to be rich. And that is just the unfortunate reality. But it's a reality. If you're doing something successful, there will be knockoffs. There will be counterfeits. I can go buy a Rolex watch for $10 in China in five minutes if I want. It's not the real thing. It's a counterfeit from some deviant-minded, shortcut-taking, you know, scum of the earth. And that's how I look at them. But in the fitness industry, there's theft. People will take an idea, brand it as their own, because that's what we trade on in fitness, is our reputation, our knowledge. And nobody in fitness is allowed to market themselves as second best. It doesn't work. You can't be second best in fitness because or sports performance, because if you're second best in sports performance, well, then who the hell would ever want to use your services and your goods if you're only the second best? best. It doesn't work in a marketing message. So all of a sudden, you have the pressure for everyone to project themselves to the marketplace as the very best. You don't have a choice, which leads to a whole bunch of bullshit. It leads to a whole bunch of little fiefdoms here who are afraid to communicate with over there, and they're all wrong at the fundamental level. And now we have a definitive, objectively measurable best 
It's WEC method. It's head over foot technique. It's the double down pulse with the propulsed pulsers. You train with the coily core. You compression strength training, 45 deadlift, because I'm the guy who was lucky enough to fall into the bucket of cream, and I churned and churned and churned and turned that shit into butter so I didn't drown. Because I didn't, ha- I had mailbox money from the BOSU ball. I did not need to go to work in the morning and, and engage in the, you know, the cat and mouse rat race of, oh, well, I have to be the best. And I, oh, well, I have to teach the person right now. Can't, you know, I can't come to work with some theory. Oh, I'm the strength coach of this team. And hey, guys, let's try this today. It might work, might not work, but hey, we'll never know until we try it, right? You can't do that online. You got to go offline. And mailbox money from the BOSU ball gave me that ability. I could go to China. I could go to Chinese medical school. I could invest hundreds and thousands of hours in the study of movement because that's my passion. Because I wasn't born the great athlete, and I always wanted to be. So what's the key? You maximize yourself, and that lets you maximize others. And so I'm this anomaly in the industry, and that turns me into the flood. And the water line is rising. And if you're tethered to your anti-rotation paloff press, which so many are, your brace your core, swing your arms, which so many are, then you can't breathe because the flood is above you. You're tethered to something that is fundamentally wrong, and you're going to have to get over it, or you're going to have to go find another profession to work in. And it gives the young people the opportunity to leapfrog those experts who are stunned and back on their heels and don't know what to do because all of a sudden it is revealed that they are not the best. They've never been the best. And what they're teaching, have been teaching and taught this morning, is not best. It's actually counterproductive in most cases at the fundamental level. On top of that foundation of complete misunderstanding, they do a lot of good things, right? <laughs> I mean, come on, right? All sets, reps, and all this strategy and stuff, they, they, they know what they're doing. They're experts. They're smart people. But the problem is they've been building on a, a sand, right? They've not been building on the bedrock. And so from the very beginning of this journey, when I invented the BOSU ball, I set the intention correctly. I had the wisdom to to, to begin with the correct end in mind, which is I'm going to understand balance measured by locomotion. Balance ain't just not falling down. Balance is coordination. Balance is the appropriate positioning of where and when. It is the balance of tension and relaxation to accomplish any given specific task. So the person who is speaking English has the balance to manipulate their tongue and mouth etc., to form the words that are coherent that another person can understand. A violinist has the balance to move the hands in cooperation to hit the notes where and when appropriate. And locomotion is the same thing, but it's very, very simple, and it's the most fundamental function that we all, except for an extremely unfortunate few percentage, we all locomote. Everybody walks to where they're going to go. And the highest expression of locomotion is sprinting. And it doesn't mean that you ever really have to sprint, but you have to know how to materially enhance the sprint if you have something universal that enhances locomotion. And for the person who doesn't want to sprint, they still have to train (laughs) in the things that would otherwise make them a better sprinter, not something that would make them worse. 
And since they're not the, you know, the person who doesn't like the sprint, odds are they're not very good at it naturally. So they will do what you coach them to do, which only feels worse because they're following this misguided instruction. Brace your core. Don't let your head move to the side. Keep your shoulders level. Like, this is absolute nonsense. And it's like, oh, God, it's like there's, it's like, it's like so much crap has built up this undergrowth in the forest and now it's just ripe for the fire to just <laughs> clear it, turn it to ash and from that ash the phoenix rises and everybody wins in the end and that's that's why in my mind I'm doing this the way I am the ends justify the means everyone's going to be better off and I don't care if I have to offend some of the little niche communities in the fitness world, especially those who've been denigrating my BOSU ball for 10 years based on bullshit science, because they they suffer the bully culture and this testosterone, like, oh, I'm going to bump my chest over. So anything that I even sense that has a feminine bent, I'm going to steer clear of it because it threatens my manhood, right? That's the people who hate the BOSU ball. And so, and now I'm standing on the playground. I'm saying, okay, motherfucker, stand up and tell me my Bosu ball's bad. Go for it. Knock me over. I'm going to knock you into next week. Your fucking family tree's going to shake. If, if That's the idea. That's the war of ideas. Come at me. Come at me. Because I know none of them can. And I know it pisses people off. And I love it because I'm from New Jersey. So anyway, <laughs> thanks for the opportunity for me to just fucking go off. Oh. It's. I watch your. Or I was looking at your Instagram feed over the past couple of weeks, and that's probably my favorite thing that you do. And you're so well informed on it too, which is all the better. <laughs> well, that's what justifies it. I could mm-hmm. not. I could not. I literally could not say what I'm saying in the way that I'm saying it if I were not right, because <laughs> I would be booted off the stage to be like, <laughs> to be like, okay, this guy, go away, little piece of shit <laughs> but because I, because I stand on the center of the board with authority I can do whatever the hell I want I could be Bruce Jenner's freaking girlfriend boyfriend you know freaking 400 pound ride a tricycle in a circus and you know and, and, and you know kill puppies or whatever the fuck and it wouldn't matter because you still have to avail yourself of the athletic advantage, which is the athletic necessity. And the fact that I'm pretty fucking normal in terms of, you know, like, I'm a normal guy. I don't dress up in funny clothes at night. and I don't have deviant sort of, you know, fantasies or anything like that. I'm a pretty fucking normal guy in that regard, right? But I'm as intense and as competitive as anybody else, and I've lost my mind three times. So I've, I've broken with this reality that we're all in three times. So it's by the grace of God that I'm back on my feet, you know, here and now and able to function, right? So basically I could be pushing a shopping cart under a bridge, you know, trying to figure out the resolve pi and phi and all these things, you know, lost in the mathematics of it and unable to communicate with anybody, sort of genius trapped in its own little vortex. But no, I'm not. Okay, I'm back, right? I'm back. And that makes me fearless. I don't have the same – I'm not in the same box as everybody else. I don't – there is nothing that constrains me because I have no fear. And financially, I'm not beholden to any singular party who can cut me off and make me jump because that's how you control somebody. Cut off their finances. Right? You cut off somebody's financial well-being and they're going to do 
They're going to do whatever it takes to be able to feed themselves and feed their family. And you really want to control somebody, overpay them. You overpay somebody where their next best alternative is 10 times less and they get happy with 10 times more. Well, guess what? Lick the floor. That's your job today. They're going to lick it clean. And that's just the way it works for people. And yeah, complacency. Exactly. And so, and now what I'm doing is I'm coming into the fitness industry and I am threatening the financial well-being of the people who are the financially most successful because they're the best and they get to charge the most money. And when they put on a seminar, they get the butts in the seats and they preach this nonsense at the most fundamental level and they do a ton of great things on top of it, but their base is flawed and that ain't going to sell no more. So guess what? Teach what you're teaching today, tomorrow. I dare you. Right? I dare you. And if you have denigrated my BOSU ball, then you have to pay the piper, right? Because you cost me money. You, you threaten my financial well-being by poisoning the minds of thousands of people who are now going to parrot your bullshit and say that BOSU balls are bullshit. And that pisses me off. Because you know what? You hurt me. And it was an unprovoked attack. You didn't have to go out of your way to post some video that's fucking denigrating the BOSU ball. You didn't have to publish some article based on science that didn't use a BOSU ball and conveniently, opportunistically capitalize on the BOSU trademark to sell your article and get readers. You didn't need to do that. You were operating your best interest, but you sure as shit weren't operating in mine, and you weren't operating in the best interest of the people out there who are looking for the services and the information to make their lives better, because you've been misinforming them with your bullshit. You see how it works? You see how it works? If I'm going to play you guys on Saturday, I'm going to put that, I'm going to pin that fucking insult on the wall, in the locker room. And I'm going to stare at it before practice and after practice, and I'm going to pin it on the ceiling in my bedroom, and I'm going to go to sleep looking at it. I'm going to wake up looking at it because I am going to kick your ass on Saturday. <laughs> That's how I play football. Yes, and you do have to set those boundaries and stand up for yourself. And you can even see that uh, with that. You posted something on Instagram uh, about your son um, helping out uh, the autistic um, kid in the school. Um, yes. 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 He really takes after you in that sense. And that's that awesome, is, and, and you know what? That that is the that is where I am proud of him, right? Because that's who we are. That is in our DNA. We cannot stand it when the strong pick on the weak. That is the injustice. That is there is no excuse for that injustice. You are stronger than that person. You, they are not a contest for you, and that's how you're going to get your kicks? By bullying that person? Well, you need to stop. You need to stop. And if I have to walk away from the group and be ostracized from your little clique of insecure people who are going to bully a kid like that, fuck you. You're going down. I'm going to help that kid, give him ten fingers so he can step up and have a better life, and I'm not going to get my jollies because I'm an unresolved that makes me so angry, so angry. And I was the same guy. 
I remember we had a kid in our high school. He didn't speak English so well. He had some mental issues, and they would pick on him mercilessly. And I used I just remember jacking one guy up against the lockers, you know. I was just like, I jacked him up. I said, you fuck with him one more time, I will fucking kill you, right? Uh, and I'm getting fired up talking about it. Again, thanks for the opportunity to do this because basically who I am doesn't matter. What I'm teaching is what matters. What I'm teaching, you don't need to know who I am. You don't need to care who I am. You don't need anything but the instruction. Do this, bang. You're better. Okay. You like that? Build on that. That's all you need to know. You don't need to know who the fuck I am, right? So who I am don't matter. And what I'm doing, again, I'm breaking the eggs that deserve to be broken because they're rotten. And we got to throw those eggs out. And now, and those eggs are going to heal up, and those eggs are going to now do right, and those eggs ultimately are going to forgive me in the end, because they have to. And if they don't, I don't give a shit. If, if, if a few thousand people have to hate me to change the world, well, hate me as much as you need to. <laughs> don't matter to me. <laughs> if, if you were to... Um give, prescribe like any kinds of shoes, do you recommend that people wear those minimalist shoes? Yes, I do, uh, but you have to transition to them smart. So you ha the feet are a long-term project, okay? So the feet is a case where good medicine can be terrible for you if you take it in, uh, you know, a high dose in the beginning. So the idea that, and look at the Vibram Five Finger shoes. They paid a $300 million settlement because some class action lawsuit, because they were advertising, put on our shoes and all your problems will be solved, right? Well, that's not exactly correct. If you've been wearing the high heel cushions that, that don't let you walk right, and now you go into these things that are supposedly going to, you know, magically fix you, well, guess what? That you got to titrate. In, in, psych in uh, psychiatry, they call it titration. Like, I take, a, I take psychiatric drugs to help me function. And you don't just jump on them and fold those necessarily, because if you do that, well, now you're really in big trouble. You got to take a little bit and build your tolerance up to it, to the, you know, to the minimal effective dose that you can't handle in the beginning. And the same thing is true for your feet. And you need to do simple things over the long term to make your feet strong in the correct manner. And there is a huge difference between being barefoot and having some kind of rubber covering it. And the reality is being barefoot is not practical. Okay, so I don't I'm not I don't condone like, oh, you should only run barefoot on New York City streets where you're gonna get a cut and an infection that's gonna end up doing a lot worse than, you know, anything else you're gonna do because you're some kooky guy who insists on no you gotta be barefoot everywhere, right? So I you know, I I, I live in the real world. Right. We need practical solutions. We don't need these, you know, things that, you know, 500 people are going to do because they're just, you know, willing to do that. Right. But when you're barefoot, all the sensitivity gives you the ability to position yourself in those microseconds and micromillimeters of wear and when with a certain skillfulness that is just fundamentally better than if you cover it with rubber. And think about, okay, well, our sole is only three millimeters thick, right? But you can't puncture it with a nail because it's so strong and blah, blah, blah. Okay, imagine having sex with that condom on, okay? It's going to be a little different than, than the, you know, than the bareback that's going to feel a lot different, right?
and it's the same thing on your feet, right? Put rubber gloves on and, you know, try to perform, you know, the, the intricate little thing. Right? It don't work, right? So you have to be smart because those shoes, even as minimal as the shoe can possibly be, it's going to desensitize your ability to do it barefoot. So you do need to dose in a certain amount of barefoot in a safe environment, and then you have to strengthen the foot to be long and strong. So if you're one of these, you know, foot fetish people who says, oh, well, we got to do this short foot exercise, squeeze your foot as, you know, as, as, as short as you possibly can. Well, if you're trying to get better locomotion, well, then you don't know what you're talking about because you're now prescribing something that is counterproductive. You need to be long and strong and enhance what we call the wind last mechanism. You want absolutely no grabbing tension in your toes, problem being grabbing in your toes is your reflex. Touch the baby's sole of their foot and bing, the, t- the toes are going to grab like they're grabbing for that branch that they used to climb on long, long time ago, that deep within the DNA, right? We ste- we evolve and stem from that which we were before. And our ancestors spent a shit ton of time in the trees where that was a very necessary skill to grab on and not fall out of the tree, okay? So you have to down-regulate the reflex of your toes to grab, which you can do with specific training. got to know what to do, which nobody does, except for me. And I say it, oh, well, he's so arrogant. Okay, fine, I'm arrogant. I do know better than you, however, and you're going to have to do what I do if you want to be relevant. Okay, but, you know, so I'm arrogant. I don't care. I'm not arrogant. I know what the fuck I'm talking about. And I'm saying that I know what I'm talking about, right? And so the person who calls me arrogant is the one who is arrogant. They have the ego that can't accept the fact that I know better than them, all right? And they'll get over it. And the people who follow them and listen to them will ensure that they get over them, go over because they are going to be irrelevant if they stick to their ideas, right? And I'm competitive and I'm in business. So I am not doing footwear yet because I'm not borrowing money. I'm going to build this thing. I don't plan to sell my business. I don't plan to answer to investors who tell me 90 days from now I better do something or otherwise they take over. Fuck that. That's not what I'm in it for. I'm in it for the overall good, okay? And I'm in it for profit so that I can have influence and power to do more good, okay? I don't want to design shoes that where the shoelaces tie themselves, okay? That's, that's not really what I want to spend millions of dollars and all this manpower and research on to build shoes that tie themselves. And I don't want to build shoes where you can't buy the same model three months from now because it's just a fashion game where I'm trying to just sell more and more volume, okay? Mm -hmm. I want to provide a solution that is actually good for the customer and not just good for my investors, okay? So that's what I'm talking about. So you need to transition, and your basic formula is stand on some form of a cylinder, and make your feet really strong. You're going to measure the strength by your ability to extend and spread your toes as much as you can and stand on something that creates acute pressure. Cylinders work best. You can use the river rocks, etc. but the cylinder is going to be your best friend. You start with a greater diameter cylinder at the beginning, so it creates less acute pressure. 
You begin on the lateral first arch, which is in between your heel and your fifth metatarsal, the, the meaty space between the heel bone and the next bone on the outside. That's the spot you got to get strongest first. And you spread and extend your toes as much as you can, and you find the pain, and you go to the delicious discomfort threshold where you're not forcing your body to tighten up and defend itself, but it's sort of like it hurts so good. And just patiently find that pain and extend your boundaries of that pain and make that pain go away. And once the pain has gone away and you can put pressure on that and extend and spread your toes, well, guess what? Now your foot is strong and it's prepared to move correctly and you can make your way down into those minimum shoes effectively. Right? And it's so freaking simple. And I know. And that's uh, just my teeth get sharper. I can taste <laughs> the blood in the water. Anyway. Mm-hmm. And it's that whole uh, idea, too. With the, I know you mentioned spiraling, right? Where you, but you use the, the elasticity um, of the, the muscles in your foot, uh, which creates the kinetic energy, correct? Yeah. Well, here's what it is you don't want slack in the body. Right. So and a kinetic a kinetic chain, just the word kinetic chain is a terrible analogy because chains have slack. The links in a chain come apart and then they connect. And so you get this abrupt force in a localized spot when it's a chain. So it's more it's more like a cord where the the slack comes out proportionately. Right? It's not this link in a chain. Oh, the kinetic chain. Well, okay, you're using that analogy because you built everything on a wrong foundation anyway. And that's, that's, um, slack means that there is inefficiency. Slack means that you're not long and strong. Slack means that the distal is disconnected from the proximal. And so the foot, basically the foot, if you look at the, 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 the tendons, in the foot, you need to get the tendons that go out to the the phalanges that connect all the way up, way up into the shank. And the same thing for the hands. You need to learn how to, you know, shape and position yourself so that you harness the strength of the tendons that cross the elbow, not just the ones that are, you know, the, the distal phalange flexor. They're important too, but not as much for the locomotion. Right? They're important for grabbing onto things, but they're not useful for locomotion and supporting your body on two-dimensional ground. If you look at the percentage of time that people spend on flat, pristine flat, because if the sidewalk goes like, you know, comes off an inch, well, okay, sand that shit down and make it flat again so people don't trip, right? You know, level the floor, right? I mean, you know, and it's good because shit rolls on flat, right? If you can't have shit roll, well, then guess what? We're Stone Age and, you know, square wheels don't work so well. So, but the, one of the prices that you pay is this, you know, constant exposure to the same exact flat, flat, flat. That just means you got to be all the more coordinated in your body actions to not get pounded into oblivion. And then again, the sneaker companies come along, the big successful ones say, oh, well, the masses. You know, we have a deep-seated subconscious contempt for the masses because they don't know better and they're unwilling to do anything, right? So we have to meet them at this low common denominator and make them comfortable. Otherwise, they're not going to buy our stuff, right? And that's the problem with the fitness industry. You know what? You know what I detest in the fitness industry? I have 
I detest the professional fitness industry that goes to trade shows and conventions bringing new products every year, most of which are just these silly props that they're trying to sell you, and they're dancing around with some new choreography that the presenters themselves would not do themselves, but they got to put on some dance that, you know, justifies everybody being there, and they get people tired and sweaty, and, oh, my God, that was amazing. I'm going to bring that back. And there's a deep-seated contempt because a regular person, a person who has regular interests and not all into fitness, they don't give a shit about that. They know deep down that it's all bullshit, right? And that I have a, such a deep contempt for exercise, for the sake of exercise, where it's not based in physical education, where you are left with motor control of your body that's going to last you for the rest of your life and make any move you make better. I like to, I subscribe to the idea that let's make it one set, one set with infinite reps where I'm never out of balance. Why the fuck do I want to walk out of balance for two, you know, 16 hours and go to the gym where I train for one hour, right? Mm-hmm. And have my personal trainer teach me a bunch of unbalanced exercises, anti-rotation, power press, do this lunge and rotate in the transverse plane so I can tell you where all your problems are and make myself <laughs> relevant because I went to the seminar and that's what the teacher said. And, oh, yeah, duh, duh, duh. It, it drives me crazy. And I'm going to change it. Because I can, and I am, right? It used to just drive me crazy, and it was just frustration. So it motivated me to work harder to find the truth. And finding the truth is ultimately about faster is faster. And the problem with most things in terms of my training mechanism is better than your training mechanism is there's always going to be some measure of subjectivity in that argument. Even if you do something that's better, the person who does something that's not as good is going to have the wherewithal to say, well, no, I believe this. But faster is faster. There are no opinions. Faster is faster because I invented something that has never existed before, which is faster with weights. It's faster. So I don't give a shit the mechanism by which it happens. I happen to know the mechanism. Otherwise, I wouldn't have figured it out. But I could call it green little fairies blow wind at your back and help lift you up off the ground faster. And it doesn't matter if the theory is right or wrong. The fact is faster is faster. And that's why I get to stand on the center of the board and speak the way I'm speaking right now. And there's enough sensible people out there who, at a deep level, sense the frustration, even though they don't sort of, they may not be fully aware of the frustration, who went to the, ooh, I went to the Perform Better Summit where they taught me how to do anti-rotation. And that's more important than any other kind of training, like because you have to stabilize your core, because if your core is not stable, well, then your hips and shoulders can't create the force and you can't transmit the force to your body because the core is not braced and neutral, super stiff and stable. It's like, that shit bothers me, right? And now, I have faster is faster. So now, guess what? You're going to listen to the next thing I have to say. And now what I say is weighted because I'm the guy who changed the way the world runs. So now, you can still stick to your idea. I can't twist your arm and force you to stop doing your pal-off presses. But guess what? The marketplace can. The marketplace sure shit can. Because if you can't make money anymore because you're doing shit that everybody knows but can't truly prove because there's still subjectivity, 
Do your power press. I dare you. Don't do my work. I dare you. And if you're one of these little peon kids out there who's stupid enough to fight me and say I'm stupid and insist on it once I've so generously enlightened you otherwise, well, guess what? Your punishment may just be that you don't get to play with me. You don't get to use my trademarks. You don't get to be qualified. You don't get to use my patented methodologies. So guess what? Find a new job or be irrelevant. Or make a public apology, and it better be heartfelt, and it better be satisfactory. Otherwise, I ain't going to let you into the freaking kingdom. And I know what I'm saying pisses people off, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, you know, and someday I'll be a wise old monk who can just say om and sit there all calm and passionate, you know, but I am not there yet. And to pretend otherwise would be bullshit. And the book that resonated, one of the books that resonated with me deep in my soul was The Catcher in the Rye by J.D. Salinger and Holden Caulfield, the main protagonist in that story, couldn't stand phonies. He hated phonies. And I read that book so many times. I was an actor, so I would take monologues and scenes from that and act them out because I have a deep-rooted contempt for phony that I cannot live with phony. Okay? I can – if I were phony – that's why that's why I lost my mind three times, because we live in a phony world. And I will go so far as to say that phonyism lying is actually a necessity, right? Because I don't want to hear your problems if I say, how you doing? Just tell me good and deal with your problems. Or pull me aside and let's have the heart-to-heart where we really get into your problems. Don't half-ass it and say, oh, well, you know, I'm blah, blah, blah. just lie to me. And for the person out there who's saying, well, I just can't subscribe to that. Honesty is always the best policy. No, no, there's no moral compass in what you're saying. Okay, fine. Tell your kid that Santa Claus ain't real. The Easter Bunny, the Tooth Fairy, right? Tell him he ain't real. Don't lie to your kid. Don't lie to your kid. Tell them the harsh reality that Santa Claus ain't real and you ain't getting presents. I'll order you something off Amazon, right? And I'll give you a chocolate bar, but you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. we need we the, the human drama is a very very interesting thing, and one of the reasons why we lie to the kids and tell them that there is Santa Claus and then leave it to them to come to the realization that there ain't is because that is a little mechanism, a metaphor for you getting over the fact that there's other bullshit that you're just going to have to get over, right? Mm-hmm. And it's a nice little story that makes the kids feel really good, and let's keep it alive. Merry Christmas, right? Merry Christmas, because life without fantasy and imagination and and all those other things wouldn't be worth living. And I think that's God's will. So you mentioned earlier using the hands and how – with locomotion anyways, it's uh, all in the hands and the foot just kind of reacts. And if you were to allow it without the cushioning, you know, it would react, respond appropriately, giving the uh, the nervous system. And um, so what is proper uh, running form look like in the hands? 
Proper running form with the hands has to harness the connective tissue. The idea that you just swing them back and forth to counterbalance your upper, you know, counterbalance the action of your legs is not correct, all right? And this stems back to the first locomotion that was, that, that, that was inextricably linked with throwing and swinging, okay? So if you're to locomote back in the beginning when there is no technology except for swinging and throwing stones and sticks, sticks and stones break bones and you need them when you ain't got nothing else. So if I'm going to carry a stick, well, guess what? I can't swing my arms like you're telling me, track coach. I can't keep them 90-90 swinging cheek to cheek. So our ancestors, the ones who we come from, that seed, that family tree, didn't swing their arms, okay? They pulsed them down because that's what balances the stick. The stick is still a burden, and you don't go faster with it, but you need it, so it's worth the burden of carrying. And now you pulse the arms to balance the stick and keep it in your hands. So we... We never swung our arms the way your track coach is teaching you to swing your arms, all right? And that's reality. That's first principle physics. And you need connective tissue. You need long and strong. And so what you have to do is you have to take the mass of your body and you want to interact with the ground with the least amount of this elongation and then contraction of muscle tissue because that's what creates trauma. That's what creates metabolic waste. It's like it, it's very inefficient. So what you want to do is you have to send the force at a certain amount of speed that allows the internal belly of the muscle that is enveloped in these fascial layers like Russian dolls because each individual muscular cell, the sarcomere, is enveloped in its own container. This is its own little sack of fascia. And then the spindles and then the bundles and then the whole damn thing. It's all wrapped in these layers of fascia. And what you need to do is you need to think of your body as a pressure system that is principally hydraulic, right? Salt water insulated by fat. That's essentially what we are. You're a battery that doesn't short circuit. Because fat is insulating it, the myelination on the, on the electrical wires that insulates it. And so what you need to do is you need to harness the hydraulics of your body. You regulate with the pneumatics, which is your breath and your air, but you're harnessing the hydraulic pressure. And when you send force through at a rate of speed that is fast enough, the whole thing unites into what you would describe as a more isometric movement that is linked throughout your entire body so that there's no slack. And now your muscles aren't having to elongate and contract and create all that tissue trauma and metabolic waste. It gets you off the ground faster. It feels a shit ton better. There's less wear and tear, so you're actually doing it in a healthier manner, despite the fact that you're applying a greater ground impact force. So you have that irony, uh, and that irony too, but that's how it must be done. And there's a few ways that you can pulse with the upper body, one in which is the double down, and then another way in which is the wing. And the wing is a little bit different. That jolts you off the ground after the load, and the double down jolts you down before the load. And 
The double down must be used for sprinting because for sprinting, you need the maximum force to go boom, boom, and get off the ground the fastest and then travel the furthest. And you just do that at high frequency and with a longer stride length and you're faster and less wear and tear. And if you're running at a sustainable pace that isn't approaching five steps per second, you can do a wing pulse action. And there are runners, the best in the world, like the highly Gabra Selassie, who was a legend in the long distance, who did a wing action with his right hand and a more of a pulsing action with his left hand. And then you have today's greatest marathoner, the greatest marathoner that we know of in history, Eliud Kipchonge, who does a double down pulse on both hands. All right? Hmm. He went he went a little faster with that. And guess what? Now that I'm here and that I'm teaching the world and I'm correcting and righting the wrongs of locomotion and the fundamentals of balanced movement, we're going to break the two-hour marathon because once the coaches get over the fact that they're going to have to let their athletes train my technique and they're not going to be able to hide and keep them from doing it, then we're going to break the two-hour marathon because I'm going to train them to do what they already do better because now they're going to know how to train it. And if you take even a moderate athlete and you have them jog slowly – from here to there, you will see them engage in what is called a passive double down pulse. A halfway moderately decent athlete will not swing his or her arms to run slowly from here to there. You will see that the hands have a definitive boop down, down, down that jolts back up with connective tissue. Now, it's passive and it's subconscious and it reverts to a swinging motion when the urgency of turning over your stride faster comes upon you. And what I teach you to do is, you know, let's take that passivity and let's put some intention into what we actually want to do so that we create over time a more structurally resilient recoil mechanism of the downward pulse, which means we can apply a greater downward pulsing force that creates a greater ground reaction force with a greater recoil force back up through the connective tissue that's linked throughout the entire body that gets you up off the ground faster and through the air longer. Okay, it's a strategy that works, and I guarantee you the two-hour marathon is broken because WEC method has come along to help us break it. And it's iconic. The two-hour marathon is the the final frontier for the iconic running achievement. Because if I ask a normal person, what is the world record 100-meter dash time? The answer is not, I don't know. The answer is, I don't care. Usain Bolt, world record, gold medal. I know enough, and I don't care about anything else. Who won second place? I don't care. Okay. Right? Who is the first person to break 10 seconds in the 100? I don't care. Right? What's the, who was the first person to break the mile, the four minute mile? That's the other iconic running achievement that people who don't care can relate to. Roger Bannister, four minute mile. Who was the person who beat Roger Bannister's record? I don't care. Name the 100 and blah, blah, blah people or more who have broken it since. What's the mile record right now? I don't care. Okay? It's 
round numbers that regular people can relate to. One mile, four minutes. Who was the first to break it? Roger Bannister. Okay, that's all I care about. I got a busy life and other things. I don't need to go into the minutia like all the nerds and geeks who do, like me, like you, like the others in our industry who give a shit. Now, two-hour marathon. Okay, it's a marathon. It's the sexiest running event in the world for the people who don't care because it attracts the most runners. This <laughs> is sort of a life achievement. Well, before I die, I want to run a marathon, right? And so you have thousands and thousands and thousands and millions of people running these marathons, pulling from a population of people who don't even exercise at the gym. Runners don't like to exercise in general. Runners like to run. I have 45 minutes, so I'm not going to spend 20 of them exercising. I'm going to go for a run because I'm a runner, okay? And runners don't even run for fitness most of the time. They run for the well-being of their mind, the clarity of thinking. And that's why 80% of them are hurt every given year, but they're still running with black toenails and shin splints and plantar fasciitis because they can't not run. It makes their life better. They are the, they are the people who cut through life as successful people. You don't find many marathon runners who are on welfare, okay? They are, they're, they're the game changers. They're the people who are the, the people out there doing things, right? Because we come from that. You were born to run, right? So it's so primal that most runners don't like to exercise, and most runners will run through injury because they love to run so much. Now, the marathon, two hours. It's an iconic event. It's an iconic round number, two hours. It was once thought to be impossible. That just makes it sexier. And when it is broken, it's most likely that everybody in the world will now know and remember, including the people who don't care, which is most of us, uh, the, the name of a man from Kenya who otherwise you wouldn't even be able to pronounce, but because he broke the two-hour marathon, his name will be known, and that will have a historical significance that lasts forever because it was iconic, and there's no more iconic running achievements after that. I don't care who wins a 100-mile race. Not enough people care about that to care, and I don't care who breaks the, you know, who, who breaks the, the person who breaks the two-hour. Who cares? Right? Well, they got it down to one hour and 46 minutes. That's, like, unbelievable. Who cares? Because we live in the real world where most people don't care about that stuff. And so it's time for the fitness industry to understand this reality and stop trying to exploit the masses who don't care with bullshit. Oh, in just minutes a day, stand on this and twist your way to fitness. Okay, great. We can sell $40 million of that bullshit to the people who are going to buy it and then not use it, and then all the suckers are gone, and you ain't going to be able to sell another one of them, and then you're going to find them at the discount stores, and you're going to find them in the landfills, and you're going to find them tucked away into the closets in the attics that you end up throwing away 25 years when you clear that shit out. And the fitness conventions where we take some prop that is bullshit, it's just a piece of plastic that somebody's trying to sell, some of them with good intentions, some of them with not-so-good intentions, yeah, that shit's got to go away, too, because it doesn't lead to progress. It's bullshit, and I think human beings are deep brain, limbic system, basal, you know, cerebellum, the stuff that keeps you alive. I think they can sense bullshit, even though their conscious forebrain, cerebral cortex 
can't exactly put their finger on why they don't exercise because there's a deep-seated contempt for the customer from the people who are in the fitness industry making their living, most of them, that they're not even aware of because it's layers of cultural bullshit. We used to get fitness by doing, by living, right? Back when you had the burden of actually washing your damn clothes with your hands or whatever the hell else you were doing. It was a more active lifestyle by necessity. Now, you could be a brain in a jar and call dominoes that are going to be there in 30 minutes. You don't need to move a fucking finger anymore to, to live, okay? And that's a good thing. It's not a bad thing. But it means that the fitness industry has to meet the demands of this real world and stop bullshitting because I think deep down everybody can relate to Holden Caulfield even though they don't on a conscious level. Bullshit fucking sucks. I don't like it. And that's why I'm doing what I'm doing. I'm going to change it. And I subscribe to the serenity prayer, okay? Accept the things that you ain't going to have to be, that you don't have the capacity to change. Because if you can't do anything about it, if you're worrying about it, that is an excuse to not tackle the things that you can change. And you have to have the courage, you have to have the guts, you have to have the balls to go after that which you can actually change. And you got to have the wisdom and then the serenity to accept the fact that there are things that you can't change. And now, because of what I've done and the position that I've arrived at on the center of the board, I can now change the entire game at the most fundamental level and I can change it and trust me it takes guts to do what I'm doing it takes guts to do what I'm doing and you ain't gonna ever get the guts to do what I'm doing without the goods to deliver because I can change it I will change it I am changing it and that's who I am and there's plenty of shit I can't change so I ain't gonna worry about it that's not my job I'm gonna change what I can change and I'm doing something that's never been done before. And that is a blessing to be on this earth with God's blessing, blessing to do his will for the betterment of humanity as we march forward to this singularity, to God's glory. But God don't want to get stuck on perfect in my story. If God gets stuck on perfect where there's never the irritant that creates the pearl, there's never the pressure that creates the perfect diamond, or every diamond has no occlusion, everything's absolutely perfect, and there's nothing new, there's nothing unexpected, you know what's going to happen next because everything's absolutely perfect, God wouldn't want to exist in that eternity. No beginning, no end, and nothing new. It's a stalemate on the chessboard, the 64 squares, the 8 and 8 double infinity. And you're standing on a square, you can't move, but you're not dead? Well, if I were God, I would sacrifice my son to play it again. Play it again, Sam. Play it again, Uncle Sam. I think America is the greatest gift to this earth because it is here where you gave the opportunity for the underdog to change his or her station in life. You weren't born into a caste that kept you down. You could take an idea, the gumption, the wherewithal, the risk, the luck, all things, and go from zero to hero and transform the world. 
that's who we are. And God bless America. There's plenty of faults and there's plenty of sinister things and there may be some new world order, but ultimately it's all to God's glory. That's the story that I tell myself and I have a key role. And that couldn't be blessed. Yeah, couldn't be more blessed in that. Couldn't be more blessed that I was crazy enough to lose my mind in this little construct to be able to step outside of it, see it for what it is, and fucking now jump back in and win. That's what I'd like. I do want to be respectful of your time, David. So I have one last thing that, that I'm very fascinated about. Um, what is uh, Coiling Core? Um, and, where, and where can people access those exercises? Okay, so Coiling Core is this. Coiling Core training is the ultimate foundation for all things physical because it is the distilled essence of locomotive rotation, core function. So I'll say it again. It's the ultimate foundation for all things physical because it is the distilled essence that if you do this exercise in many forms without any modality or any modality you want, so you don't got to buy my gadget to do it, you do it with your body weight. It is so simple, and it leads to immediate improvement in the locomotive function because it is what drives the spinal engine. There was a man named Grakovetsky who coined the term spinal engine. He was dead right in terms of what the skeleton does because of its structure, its optimum function, just because of its structure. And it goes all the way back through the evolutionary thread when you had the buoyant little creatures that just wiggled side to side in the frontal plane. That, that mechanical stress led to the segmented spine. You come out of the water. you got to prop yourself up. All of a sudden, the side bending relates to the counter-axial rotation. The spinal engine is born on all fours. It's overhand figure eights with the shoulders. And when you stand it up after you've used the tree or perhaps the water to get vertical, it turns into an underhand figure eight with the shoulders, overhand figure eight with the hips. That's how we locomote. You don't, your legs don't carry you. What they do is they amplify and express the power of the core. Now, Grakovetsky didn't understand the myofascial mechanisms of his spinal engine. So you have these people who poo-poo his theory and throw the whole thing out and don't understand that the skeletal structure is really what it's all about. And now they say, oh, well, no, Grakovetsky was wrong. And now he, uh, he focused on all this stuff where, you know, the multifidi and blah, blah, blah. The lats lead locomotion. And so if you're going to go back to your pedestrian theory where the legs carry the body with a brace core, you are wrong. And you've got to give Grakovetsky his due. It's the spinal engine. And I'm the one who figured out the connection of the myofascial construct, the myofascial system to move the skeleton with this distilled essence. And it is so simple. The basic essence of it is this. You take the, the point. On the side of your body where the ninth rib comes down and that where that ninth rib intersects the, the midline in the frontal plane of your body, right on the side of your body where that ninth rib meets that point, that's the central axis. You don't move it. Now, you bring the shoulder down and back and the same, the same side hip up and forward. It maximizes the role of the lat. It connects the lower lats, which is basically connective tissue, 
that lats have more origin, more real estate than any other muscle in the body. They are the thing that creates that frontal plane flexion with counter rotation and the transverse plane that creates the sagittal motion. It's all happening at the same time, but it starts with the frontal plane flexion. And when you distill it down to this simple formula, keep the axis of rotation at the ninth rib in the same spot, shoulder down and back, same side hip up and forward, get amazingly great at that, and your range of motion is dictated by landing every single step you take with your head over your foot. <laughs> okay, you got it. And what we've been able to do is distill it down to simple exercises that make it so simple to do it right that you do it and you get the positive effect when you do it right. It's very simple, but it's very precise. You have to do it right. Thank you guys for listening to this episode of the podcast. Woo! That was a lot of fun. I love David with his no bullshit explanation of his understanding of locomotion, how the human body has um, gone through its adaptations and more. Uh, if you'd like to know more, you can go to weckmethod.com and you can also follow him on Instagram at the David Weck. I'll be sure to leave all those links in the show notes and yeah, I'm just really enjoying learning more about um, the human body and what we're athletically and intellectually and creatively capable of. I honestly know very little and meeting people like this is very exciting for me because I'm expanding my awareness and with that I'm having new experiences within my own body and my own disciplines. Thank you guys for tagging along with all of this. And if you'd like to support the show, you can rate review on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, wherever the fuck you listen to this. And you can pick up some merch on the website, becominghumanpodcast.com. Thank you all for listening. Later.